Welcome to Outdoors Radio with Dan Small, your source for the latest hunting and fishing information. Brought to you by Lake Link, your online fishing resource at lake-link.com. Outdoors Radio is also brought to you by Huntworth Gear, performance camel wear at a price you can afford, huntworthgear.com, and by Ducks Unlimited, a proud sponsor of Outdoors Radio and of duck hunters everywhere, ducks.org. We're also brought to you by the Castle Rock Petenwell Lakes Association, 60 square miles of fun on the water, castlerock-petenwell.com, and by Woodside Ranch Resort and Conference Center, woodsideranch.com. I'm Jeff Kelm. Today, we'll catch up with Dan on Lake of the Woods in Canada, hear about the second annual Jordan Buck Day in Burnett County. All that and more coming up here on Outdoors Radio, so don't go anywhere. It's time now for the Madison Report, brought to you by Pappas Trading Post. That is where you need to go this time of year. Madison area, get yourself over to Pappas and pick yourself up a brand new Mission or Matthews bow or crossbow. And uh, joining us now is pro angler Duffy Cuff. I would say, uh, Duffy, uh, life has been good. We talked a little bit off off the air here. Uh, you, uh, <laughs> you get a chance to get out there and do this. 70 something years old and, uh, the, the, the opportunities don't slow down. Maybe, maybe the angler slows a little bit. Well, yeah, it's, uh, it's just like, uh, uh, you know, when I played football, football was the love of my life. Well, (laughs) that went away a long time ago, but, uh, I have been working with, uh, high school football in some way, shape or form for 50 years now. And, uh, the, the desire to still want to go out there as a 17 year old kid is still there. (laughs) Yeah. That drive doesn't go away for sure, man. Well, let's talk about fishing. I feel like we're kind of hanging on a cliff edge right now with uh, the change in the weather and things like that. Uh, what are we seeing as far as water temps and, and what's happening? Well, hello. Yep. Can you hear me? Yeah. All right. You want me to continue here? Yeah, yeah. Did you, uh, did, I suppose you probably I didn't, didn't say anything about the temperature because, uh, that I heard a little click and I thought maybe you were off. Oh, yeah. No. So, uh, I said, uh, you know, we're kind of hanging on a, on a cliff edge here with the, in regards to the temperature and, and, uh, want to find out how, how fishing is, what things look like in the area. Well, uh, last weekend I was in a, a muskie tournament on, uh, Lake Monona and we had a fair, Fair number of guys out there, uh, going after them. And, uh, some of the guys that are out there are vastly experienced and really hardcore musky guys. And there were two fish caught. Uh, one was a 30 incher that a guy caught, uh, trolling spoon plugs. And the other one was, uh, 43 and a quarter that he caught on a black Medusa. So, not a lot of uh, fish caught, so the transition for that species in particular hasn't really changed a whole lot. And I'm thinking now, because I was on the water this morning again, and uh, when I put in, the water temperature was uh, mid, mid-60s. mid And uh, you get out in the middle of the lake where the water's a lot deeper and you're up to 70 degrees. So things are going to... The bait fish, whatever, starting to move into the shallow weeds again. And of course, then the predator fish are going to follow them in. And I'm, I'm kind of holding my breath to see when that's going to happen. 
Yeah, I mean, uh, and, and it, it could happen at any time. We're talking about this, this fall transition and, and, uh, you know, you're, you're very well known for reaching out after those predator fish and they do seem to put the feed bag on here as we get into the fall. Well, you know, people, and I, I know I've said this on this show before, people think it's, they're putting the feedback on, but in reality, I think what happens is the fish that they feed on all of a sudden are joined up in a very close proximity to each other in the shallower water. And, uh, when the fish are there, they're going to go after them and they're going to eat more than they actually need. It's like uh, just getting done eating at McDonald's and somebody holds a quarter pounder with cheese in front of you and you're full, but you're still going to go after it. That's how those fish are because Mother Nature has programmed them to do two things. Number one is to eat, and the purpose of eating is so that you can reproduce. So keep that in mind. Yeah, no, for sure. And now any particular thing you would chase at this time uh, in that Madison area, any place you would particularly uh, target uh, or look for? Well, I, I did uh, this morning when I was in the weeds on uh, Mendota, and Mendota does does not have a significant uh, muskie population. You might get it near the locks and stuff in there, but really on the scientific end, there are no muskies in uh, Lake Mendota. But I did happen to come across uh, the northern bite a little bit. Uh, not like I've had uh, earlier this summer, but uh, finally figured out where some of them were and what bait to use. And dragging stuff uh, in relatively shallow water and getting getting those baits to to run just over the top of the weeds. And, and it's a good thing if they hit the weeds once in a while. And uh, coming up with uh, some of the nice pike that are in that lake. And it's a great time to really get out and enjoy. Obviously, you know, this weekend with the bow opener, a lot more folks headed out to the woods, maybe putting some boats away. You got, you know, the the tourist travel is down a little bit. It's a good time to get on the water, really explore your favorite body of water. It was. I I only spent, uh, once that north northeast wind came up, I only spent about three, three and a half hours on the water this morning. And I saw one other boat out on Lake Mendota. I mean, you're talking almost 10,000, 10,000 acres out there. And, uh, uh, there is, it's, it's so nice to be out there where you're not worried about if it's going to be crowded at the boat launch or anything else. So, uh, yeah, I enjoy that and it's very, very quiet. Yeah, and you know, and and uh, you and I have talked about it, and I've talked about it on uh, on on the show before. Obviously, if you're an ice fisherman, you know, or or thinking about that type of stuff, it's a good time to get out and kind of look for uh, some of those fish, as you mentioned, what the predator fish are eating. If you're a if you're a bluegill fisherman in the wintertime, those fish are going to start grouping up. They're going to start finding themselves in concentrated areas, and it's a good time to start kind of chasing them down too. Yeah, it is. And then you get that when they're that close together, you get that uh, little bit of com- competition in there amongst them. And it uh, it can work out if you're in the right place at the right time where it's kind of easy to catch those fish. If you had to go out today, right now, what would you do? What would you chase and where would you go? I'm not telling you to give away your spot, but maybe I am. Well, no, that's OK. Uh, I'm not I'm not sure about uh, giving out my spots. 
Uh, the first place on Mendota that I always go, I'll put in at Marshall Park, and I'll work that uh, that Middleton Weed Edge because a lot of times that can be uh, that can be pretty productive. And then later on, when it starts getting even colder, it becomes even more productive. And then down into the corner down there where that little creek comes in, and it's only. Oh heck, some of those areas aren't four feet deep, I don't think. And there's a lot of weeds, so you gotta be able to put up with that. And, uh, and that's where I was today. And, uh, finally found some of the fish. And in an area that's probably as big as my backyard. So we're talking about, uh, 50 square yards. That's where all the fish were caught. Pretty concentrated. That's no doubt about it. Duff, I appreciate you uh, taking the time to join us uh, each time we give you a call, and we look forward to talking to you a number number of more times uh, coming up here yet this fall. Yeah, one thing I have for, for the ice fishing thing coming up, uh, just so everybody knows, that first weekend in December is the big ice show up at uh, St. Paul. I've been working that for quite a few years now. That That is a wonderful thing. If you've never seen that before, you won't believe it. And then the following weekend in December is the new Ice Fishing Expo in the state of Wisconsin that's going to be held in Oshkosh. Uh, so that uh, hopefully I'll be working. Hopefully Clam will uh, assign me to work that, and uh, I'm looking forward to being in Wisconsin for an ice show. Yeah, I think the one in uh, St. Paul is the 30th anniversary of that show, and uh, and yeah, the new one in Wisconsin is going to be good. Yeah, I'm I'm really looking forward to that. Awesome, Duffy. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. All right. We'll see you, Jeff. Duffy Cuff, Pro Angler, joining us today on the Madison Area Outdoor Report. Make sure you get yourself over to Pappas Trading Post. They have got the hookup on your new Matthews and Mission bow and crossbow in the Madison area. We will be right back after this. Pappas Trading Post is Southern Wisconsin's number one Matthews and Mission archery retailer. Located just west of Arena on Highway 14, they have a full-service pro shop, a 40-yard indoor range, a large selection of archery accessories, and a full assortment of Matthews apparel. Their expert staff can tune your bow for top performance. Gear up for bow season at Pappas Trading Post. Look for the two giant arrows and stop at Pappas Trading Post on Highway 14 west of Arena or visit PappasTradingPost.com. If you're ever in a motor vehicle accident, call Hupe and Abraham, named Best Personal Injury Law Firm by the Wisconsin Law Journal year after year. The firm of Hupe and Abraham has collected more than a billion dollars for its clients. In fact, they collect millions of dollars every month for hundreds of satisfied clients. Call the firm voted best and rated best, Hupe and Abraham, 800-800-5678 or visit Hupe.com. By the way, all 11 offices of Hupe and Abraham in Wisconsin, Iowa, and Illinois are open for business. The firm of Hupe and Abraham has paid tens of thousands of dollars in rewards to help solve crimes in the Milwaukee area. Michael Hupe is the president of Milwaukee Crime Stoppers. He's offering a $25,000 reward for the next anonymous tip that solves a homicide case. If you've got a tip on a unsolved homicide case, visit MilwaukeeCrimeStoppers.com or call 414-224-TIPS. Well, we'll turn our attention to uh, Dan Small on the road this week uh, up at Ballard's Black Island Resort. Uh, Dan, how are things going up there? Well, Jeff, I'm on Lake of the Woods at Ballard's Black Island Resort, as you mentioned. The weather here has been actually pretty good for early fall. We've had a couple of chilly mornings, 
I don't know if you can hear the wind howling out there right now. We are talking on Tuesday evening, if I haven't, uh, no, Wednesday evening. Uh, I've only been here three days, and it seems like a, a month already. We have been catching walleyes. Uh, one of the groups got into crappies today. They brought in a bag of 36 of the biggest crappies I've ever seen, and they caught them all jigging with uh, plastics or minnows. We have caught enough walleyes for shore lunch, and we had fresh walleye for supper tonight. And today, while jigging for walleyes and then trolling for a while, trolling, I caught my personal best northern pike, hitting a flicker shed, which we knew was not a walleye, but we didn't know what it was until it made a couple of those fast northern-style runs right at the boat. And then it came up, and we saw it, and uh, obviously it was uh, a big northern. And then after lunch, uh, we were jigging for walleyes in a couple other spots, and I hooked something big. It went down. It stayed down. And it eventually came up uh, after about 10 minutes of fighting it, and we saw it was a good-sized muskie. This was on 8-pound fluorocarbon with a, uh, a small jig in its mouth. Anyway, about 20 minutes later, we got it in the net. We got it in the boat, and then the muskie went right through the guide's net. So I owe him a net, but it was worth it. Uh, it was my personal best muskie caught, believe it or not, on a walleye jig in 8-pound test. Uh, 46 inch musky. And we're not done. We got one more day of fishing. So I'm having a good time. If you want to sum it up in a few words. Well, that's awesome, Dan. And, and congratulations on your personal best fish. Always a, uh, a big thing. Obviously that's the brag, right? That's what everybody fishes for. Well, a lot of people do. I never paid that much attention to it, but all of a sudden in the same day in the span of three hours, you, do your two personal best, you start paying attention. And uh, one of the guys, uh, Zach, who came here from California, had not done much freshwater fishing, although he fishes saltwater. He got his personal best perch, about a 13, 14-inch uh, jumbo, personal best crappie, first and personal best walleye, and I, I think a pike. So he's got four. Somebody else had a uh, personal best. I can't remember. I can't. Oh, yeah. Uh, Gerard, Gerard Hillenbrand, who's a regular listener from Madison, caught his personal best walleye at 27 inches. So five and two, that's seven that I'm aware of personal best today. So, uh, life is good up here and the food is great. We are looking forward to one more cool day and people are already talking about, let's do this again next year. So folks will be hearing about it. I'll probably have more details next week, but they'll hear about it come next spring if we can put together another trip. Well, memories made. That's, uh, that's the best part of it, uh, with, uh, fans, with listeners, uh, and with other friends and, and family. That's, uh, that's going to be a great trip to, uh, to talk about, Dan. I know you'll have a full report when you come back and, or at least when we talk to you again. I, I think, uh, you're going to be on the road here for just a little while yet. I will still be on the road. I'm going from here to Bemidji, Minnesota, where there's the Association of Great Lakes Outdoor Writers Conference and Fishing Tournament. And a uh, another tournament with Al's Goldfish Lures. So, my goodness, I just hope my streak continues. I might uh, have a couple trophies or some uh, swag to bring home. I don't know. Well, there you go, Dan. Well, thanks, man. You uh, enjoy your time fishing, and uh, we'll uh, check in with you next week. We'll catch up again. Thanks, Jeff. Today, 
We're talking uh, with uh, Huntworth Gear Pro Staffer Joe Hartley. He's going to tell us about how he trains his decoy dogs to uh, hunt coyotes. Burnett County Director of Economic Development Dick Hartman invites listeners to attend next weekend's second annual Jordan Buck Day in Danbury, Wisconsin. And our guest host Rob Driesland talks with John Kulicini of Ducks Unlimited about the waterfall outlook for this fall. All that and more coming up on Outdoors Radio. For the nonprofit Ruffed Grouse Society, the well-being of the Ruffed Grouse and American Woodcock is a special priority. But the Society's conservation work benefits more than just these two game birds. The organization's programs help a long list of other young forest wildlife, including songbirds that must have thick, brushy habitat to survive. For more information about forest wildlife habitat management, contact the Ruffed Grouse Society toll-free at 888-JOIN. RGS. Enjoy the ultimate shooting experience at the Range of Richfield, your one-stop shop for all shooters. Just north of the Richfield Cabela's store on Helson Drive, the Range of Richfield offers 12 state-of-the-art 25-yard indoor shooting lanes for all pistol and common rifle loads. Classes in home defense, basic handgun and concealed carry, a retail shop, trophy mount display, and more in a welcoming, family-friendly setting. Open daily except Monday to the public and members. Your ultimate shooting experience, therangewi.com. Attention future hunters, hunting season for turkey, small game, and deer is right around the corner. Don't wait to think about hunter education. The time to enroll is now. The Wisconsin DNR offers several options to choose from, making it easier than ever to enroll. Just browse for upcoming youth or adult hunter education classes at gowild.wi.gov and join the ranks of today's hunter education graduates who are ensuring the safe future of our hunting heritage. Classes fill up quickly, so don't wait. Enroll today. A message from Wisconsin DNR. Here's a message from our friends at Remy Battery in Milwaukee, Escanaba, and Houghton. We at Remy Battery Company want to thank all of our customers and friends we have made over the past 90-plus years and your continued support of our local, family-owned company. Stop in and see the expertise of over nine decades of battery knowledge and customer service. Let us take care of the batteries for all of your needs, from power tools to sump pumps and ATVs to hunting decoys, even down to the smallest hearing aids. Big and small, we have them all. Stop in for a free battery and electrical check before you hit the road, trails, or waters. Don't forget to ask your sales representatives about volume pricing. Call Remy at 414-384-0340 or visit online at remybattery.com for all your battery and battery accessory needs. Pappas Trading Post is Southern Wisconsin's number one Matthews and Mission archery retailer. Located just west of Arena on Highway 14, they have a full-service pro shop, a 40-yard indoor range, a large selection of archery accessories, and a full assortment of Matthews apparel. Their expert staff can tune your bow for top performance. Gear up for bow season at Pappas Trading Post. Look for the two giant arrows and stop at Pappas Trading Post on Highway 14 west of Arena or visit PappasTradingPost.com. Welcome back to your source for the latest hunting and fishing information. Outdoors Radio with Dan Small. Welcome back to Outdoors Radio. I'm Dan Small. Huntworth Gear is high-tech camo wear at a price you can afford. Find it at Mills Fleet Farm and other stores and online at HuntworthGear.com. And joining me now is Joey Hartley. He's originally from Indiana, and he's now living in Kentucky. And he hunts coyotes in several states. He's got a YouTube channel called Mangy Dog TV. 
He was on the show last year, and he joins us again now. Uh, Joey, uh, for listeners who have not seen your videos, tell us how you hunt coyotes, because you use dogs and collars. How do you do it? Yeah, so it's called a decoy dog and manly. And uh, the concept of it is in the summer, the coyotes have pups on the ground with the uh, established den area. Due to that, they're over-territorial, and they view the dogs as a threat to the den site and their pups. So when we call the coyotes in, our dogs are trained to go out and engage the coyotes. From that point, the coyotes' main focus is to run our dogs off, and our dogs are trained to recall back to us. So while the dogs are coming back to us, the coyotes think they're chasing the dogs off. And, you know, if the coyotes want to work the dogs, you can have them work for half an hour just going back and forth. You, you see an aspect of a coyote that you really can't see any other way than putting a dog in front of them in the summertime. Yeah, I think your videos are remarkable. You see behavior, the barking, the uh, showing of teeth and uh, growling, and actually sometimes trying to grab a dog or chase the dog, as you said, and it's really quite fascinating to watch them. I never thought I would be this obsessed with it, <laughs> but... At this point, I wish summer lasted forever, and if we don't have the dogs, hunting's just not the same anymore. We still love it, but it just loses that piece to, to the puzzle. Yeah. Well, tell us about your dogs. You have two, and I think their names are Rip and Cash, if those are the same two that you had last year. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Rip is a little over two and a half now. He came from Idaho. He's half Idaho shag quarter jag terrier and quarter gombin pincher cash is a, a ween and he's not really a traditionally a decoy dog he's just a dog we had and we started taking him out hunting with him and started to have pretty neat experiences just from the coyote seeing him he never would really engage or work a coyote but this summer hunting with rip he's came out of his shell and has actually put in quite a bit of work about june on with engaging coyotes and getting involved in the chases and stuff. Uh, Ritz, he's a workhorse. He's bred for it. It's what the dog lives for. And his mentality is something that a lot of people wouldn't understand. I've seen this dog get bit over seven times in the stand, mm. and he, he absolutely eats it up, loves it. And he just comes back, turns around, and re-engages the coyotes. He never looks like he's unhappy or scared he got in a fight with three coyotes a little while back and the whole time he was coming back to us he had coyotes jumping on him and he was just trotting you know he wasn't in a hurry and it's just it's it's a special thing to be able to watch a dog do something that it loves to do yeah absolutely well i would imagine your dogs have rabies shots is there any other medical concern for your dogs not too much you know they're treated for rabies but realistically, confirmed cases of rabies in the Midwest and coyotes is next to non-existent. Yeah. I don't even think it's a legitimate concern, especially new studies are showing that traditionally you do rabies shots every year, but you can have a test done that shows that the rabies vaccine can stay in the system for the life of your dog. Uh-huh. So, you know, that's something to consider. But what we deal with mostly is little nips. You know, a lot of times in the coyotes, 
boy. You know, dog's mouth, coyote's mouth, they're disgusting with the pathogens. So that obviously immediately got infected, and we keep antibiotics on hand so we can do a lot of doctoring ourselves if it's needed. Uh-huh, okay. What has using decoy dogs taught you about coyotes? What have you learned? Oh, man, there's so much in their behavior and their demeanor that I didn't pick up on before. And what's wild to me is how different individual coyotes are. I would think that if you called in four coyotes and you were 200 yards away from the pups, all four of those coyotes would be super aggressive. Mm-hmm. That's not the case. We had that exact thing happen, and all four of the coyotes ran away from the dogs and never came back. Huh. And what I have seen is uh, we had two pregnant females this year that actually squared up and tried to fight the dogs, uh-huh. which pretty much never happens. You know, out of 60 coyotes, only those two actually squared up and tried to fight. And it's just each coyote, they're uh, for disposition, kind of like a dog. Yeah. You know, you can have a litter of pups, and each pup has a different disposition. Coyotes are the exact same way. You have some that are overly aggressive. You have some that absolutely aren't aggressive at all. Yeah, well, they can interbreed, so that doesn't surprise me that their behavior can be very similar to that of dogs. Right. How do you train a dog to do this? It's really a lot simpler than what you think. I overanalyzed a lot, so I went into it a little more than I need to, but the meat and potatoes of it is um, basic obedience. Teach your dog how to recall, if you're going to do that with a whistle, with a tone from an e-collar. And from that point, you have to show it coyotes. You can't make a dog want to work coyotes. You can't train the drive into them. They either genetically have it or they don't. And you just have to show them a bunch of coyotes and hope they want to do the job. Okay. Well, and let's talk about the Huntworth gear a little bit. You're a pro staffer. What do you like about the Huntworth gear and what are you using now? Obviously, effective camouflage because the coyotes come close and give you shots and, and they never see you or, or don't see you very often, I would imagine. Yeah, yeah, they definitely work. Okay. Do you have any advice for someone who might want to try this? I mean, if, if somebody watches your videos and is already a predator hunter, I mean, he's likely to think, boy, this would be fun, but how do you get started? The biggest difference is if you want to have a good dog, you have to be willing to let coyotes go. You know, a lot of people don't want to do that, Mm -hmm. but it's a necessity. But the dog progresses with time working coyotes. And if you shoot coyotes too quick, it cuts out on that dog's experience. Not every coyote's going to work the dogs. Those coyotes that don't work, you can't shoot, because then the dog starts to expect you to shoot before it has to do anything. It just sees the end state of it having a coyote to chew on. Mm Mm-hmm. So for the dog's progression, for you to end up with a well-rounded dog, 
imagine, I've seen some of your videos where Rip grabs and shakes a dead coyote. That's kind of like the beagles I used to have would do with a rabbit. I would imagine that's kind of the, the payoff. Um, I got this animal, now I'm going to beat it up a little bit, right? Yeah, absolutely. That's the, the reward. That's the instinct they're looking for, and that's why if you shoot coyotes too soon, the dog gets fixated on that instinct and decides that it doesn't have to go out, it doesn't have to work, it doesn't have to decoy, because it gets used to you shooting those coyotes so fast. Uh-huh. Have you ever used night vision or thermal imaging scopes or hunted at night? I have. Not with the dogs, but I know a couple guys that do. Okay. Daytime hunting is better with the dogs because you can see the action or what? I just like daytime hunting because I can film it to the level of quality that I want to produce. Mm-hmm. Okay. You do produce some really amazing videos, uh, folks. If you have not heard of this or not seen this go to joey's youtube channel it's mangy dog tv and you can see exactly what we've been talking about well joey thanks so much for sharing your insights with us and for telling us about your hunting i understand you are guiding deer hunters now already down there in kentucky so good luck with that as well i appreciate it we will talk to you again i'm sure Joey Hartley is the host of Mangy Dog TV on YouTube. He's also a pro staffer of Huntworth Gear, and you can find Huntworth Gear online at huntworthgear.com. I'm Dan Small, more Outdoors Radio, right after this. Listen to more Outdoors Radio online at dansmalloutdoors.com. Welcome back to Outdoors Radio with Dan Small. Welcome back to Outdoors Radio. I'm Jeff Kelm. Our guest host, Rob Driesland, now talks to John Colisi about this year's waterfall outlook. Welcome back to Outdoors Radio. I'm Jeff Kelm. Now guest host, Rob Driesland, talks to John Colisini of Ducks Unlimited about this year's waterfall outlook. We are interviewing John Calusi, Director of Science and Planning from Ducks Unlimited, about the latest waterfall population status report as we get into the heart of waterfall hunting season. This survey that the feds have been conducting goes back 75, 80 years. Yeah, that's correct. That's one of the longest-running wildlife surveys in the world. It started in 1955. We have a really, really long-term data set. It's interesting to look at trends over time. And I always stress when these numbers come out, you know, people get really excited when we see a population drop. And it's like, well, okay, let's not get too excited. If we see a long-term trend, then there's really cause for concern. I was working at the Minnesota State Fair a couple weeks ago. It was nice. I had some young waterfowlers come up and talk to me about duck hunting. And I argued with them a little bit about some duck numbers. I was a little bothered by how little they knew about conservation history. And and I talked about some duck numbers being down. And one guy said, well, how do they know that? And I said, well, they've been doing this survey for, you know, as long as your grandfather has been on the planet, probably longer. This is really solid data, isn't it? Because, uh, you know, every year, if if there's a problem with some aspect of it, they adjust it for the next year. 
Yeah, absolutely. You can't get too caught up in the preciseness of the numbers because there is variability around those, right? There's variance around those estimates. And so we're looking at these trends and that's really the value of this long-term data set. And, you know, we hear people say, oh, those are just paper ducks and stuff like that. It's like, well, you know, these are indexes that we're interested in measuring and monitoring over time. And that's the value of them. It's not the absolute numbers. People kind of get wrapped around the axle over those numbers when they come out every year. And, you know, I'm a waterfowler too. I get excited about them as well. But I also think back to some of my waterfowling days when I was a bit younger, when I was in grad school in Missouri. We were there in the 90s and saw some very, very restricted seasons, you know, like right. three, and, 3 and 30. But those were some of the most spectacular waterfowling <laughs> experiences that I had in my life. So take heart when the numbers drop a little bit. It still can be very good out there. All right. We're at 32.3 million ducks. Uh, that's what the survey says here in the duck factory. That's down 7% from 2022, and it's down 9% off the long-term average. I think I would point out we're on a several-year run here where the numbers have kind of been con- been down for consecutive years. What's going on? Certainly, we got a drought cooking. But we've lost a lot of CRP acres. We've lost a lot of upland, associated upland grasslands, and that's got to be contributing to this decline. Yeah, and I, I think you hit it on the head there. Um, habitat loss is obviously a serious concern through time, upland nesting habitat through CRP, but also this this drought that we're in. We saw a little bit of recovery from the, the serious drought that we've had in the Dakotas in particular, but there's still, you know, that's a small portion of the prairie pothole region. In, the, in Canada, conditions were, were much, much worse. We don't have wet conditions across the entire PPR. You know, it's very difficult to characterize conditions over that vast space. And so we get field reports and, and look at the drought monitor and things like that, do the best we can with predicting what's going to happen. You mentioned 3 and 30 back in the 90s. We've been on a roll here, 6 and 60 forever. At what point do you get worried and say, you know what, maybe we should tap the brake here a little bit and go with a 3 and 30 season or what would be the interim, a 4 and 45 season, something like that. Are are we getting to the point where you you think that might be uh, something to consider? That's all dictated by the adaptive harvest management models that the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service and the flyways kind of convene on. And we've been using AHM for quite a while. And as that process started, yeah, you're right. We've had a run of liberal seasons because we've had unprecedented wet conditions on the prairie pothole region. And ultimately, you know, we had record numbers of ducks, you know, not that many years ago. Right. And so, and now we're seeing a bit of a downturn now. That downturn is still not as low as what we experienced in the 90s or the 60s, you know, when it was really dire. We're not approaching that yet. And so it'll take a few more years here of of surveys to see where we land. But right now, we're still not even as low as we were in the late 90s, early 2000s. So we're still not too far off long-term average. When I was drilling into the data a little bit, I got a little concerned about scop, lesser scop. It seemed like for years, the eastern Dakotas were kind of supporting bluebills. We were seeing declines elsewhere, like you say, in the in the prairie pothole region, particularly prairie Canada. But things held up pretty good there, and scop numbers were not in bad shape thanks to the, the Dakotas. Uh, they're still up, I think, a little bit above the long-term average in the Dakotas. But they're way off where they were, you know, five, six years ago. They were like 200% above the LTA. Did you flag that, that concerning to you to see, uh, you know, bluebill numbers uh, coming back down to earth? They're still like 
you know, an estimated 3.5 million scop between greater and lesser scop. That's still a lot of scop. That was a 4% decline from last year overall um, across the entire traditional survey area. And we're down about 29% from the long-term average. So scop are still a concern and a species of great interest. Any bright spots that you would like to highlight? I, I presume, you know, the pintail thing. That, that's always good to see yeah. pintail numbers. Yeah, online. seeing an up, uptick in pintails at 24% was really good. And I think they found the water in the Dakotas. And, and so they're really good at that. Pintails are, are, are early. They arrive. Um, they don't see water. They'll move on. And, you know, it seems like they encountered water in the Dakotas and settled in. And we had a good year there for pintails. But unfortunately, they're still 43% off the long-term average. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. you know, we're still concerned about pintails. And there's uh, other bright spots. You know, we had a uh, uptick in green-winged teal. Everything else species-wise was down this year, which isn't surprising with the total duck numbers, right? Another species that for years it seemed like I heard from the feds, you know, I'd see a lot of individual species down, but the good old mallard was always way up. And, and I was told from folks at the fish officers, well, you know, the model's kind of built around mallards. If you got robust mallard populations, so that's the bread and butter bird for so many hunters. But we're seeing mallards decline a lot. Dennis Anderson pointed out in his column last week here in Minnesota that at the Minneapolis Star Tribune that for the first time ever, mallards were not the number one bird in hunter's back. In, in Minnesota last year was blue winged teal, and I think wood ducks may have even come in second, a little bit ahead of mallards. It seems like we're seeing mallard numbers down across the PPR. I'm particularly concerned, and I keep pointing this out to my Michigan Outdoor News editor. Did I see mallard numbers down like 75 percent off the LTA in Michigan? And you know what's going on in the eastern half of the United States with mallards? Yeah, we've seen a long-term decline in Great Lakes mallards and, and also eastern mallards, which are a bit further east in the northeast uh, states of the U.S. and then also the eastern survey area in, in Canada. It's of concern. You know, when you get a drop like that, particularly in Michigan, you know, a 41% decline between 2023 and 2022 kind of makes you scratch your head a little bit about what's going on there. Think about the survey. Was the survey timing off? Were there some issues with flying dates and visibility and things like that? And I'm not for certain on on any of those things. They fly the survey, uh, use the same methods every year. And so I think they have pretty good confidence in that that survey methodology. Have to assume that what we're seeing is, is somewhat real. You know, there's a lot of hypotheses to what's going on out there. You know, obviously habitat loss. We don't experience in the Great Lakes or in the East these significant wet dry swings and droughts like we see in the prairie puddle region it's uh it's not as arid a region and so wetlands tend to be a little bit more stable and so when you see swings in populations like that it, it kind of makes you scratch your head and ducks unlimited is partnering on uh some research with wisconsin dnr michigan dnr illinois dnr Michigan State University is leading the project. We're looking at movement ecology. Uh, one thing that we've seen over time, just anecdotally from biologists, is there, we're seeing more and more mallards in urban areas. And those mm. are areas that do not get surveyed through the air. It's just too dangerous to fly those areas. And so they're not recorded on the survey. And so the question arises, well, are mallards moving from rural areas that are surveyed to areas that are unsurveyed, kind of looking at, at movement ecology there? But we're also interested in looking at reproduction and what's going on there, the proportion of hens that initiate nests. Do they actually hatch a nest? Are they successful? We're also looking into genetics of these birds as well. Ben Lucan, our PhD student, is drawing blood samples from hens that are marked with radio transmitters, and we're looking at genetics. 
we're seeing high proportion of game farm genes in the mallards in the Great Lakes. And we also see that in the east. Mallard releases happened from game farms and still are happening to this day. That was kind of an impetus for boosting populations back in the day before we knew anything. And now it's it's mostly game farms, you know, put and take power shoot places, things like that, that, that are currently doing releases. And so there's a lot of research ongoing on that and whether these birds might be maladapted based on bill morphology and things along those lines. Uh, is their survival different? Is there something different about their reproduction? A lot of these birds in urban environments simply don't move. They don't migrate. They're getting hand-fed. There's open water associated with river systems. You know, in fact, we had a bird, I think, that was marked up in the UP that was associated with a warm water outlet on a paper plant and spent the whole winter up there. John, thanks a lot. A lot of great information there. We covered a lot of ground. Uh, Good luck hunting this fall. If folks want more information, go to ducks.org. Castle Rock and Petenwell are two of Wisconsin's largest inland lakes. With more than 60 square miles of water, they offer four seasons of outdoor fun. Halfway between the Twin Cities and Chicago, and just minutes from Wisconsin Rapids and the Dells, you'll enjoy family-friendly resorts and campgrounds, great fishing, bike trails, county, state, and national parks, and the Nesita National Wildlife Refuge. Learn more at castlerock-petenwell.com or on Facebook at Castle Rock Petenwell Lakes Association. Step outside, let us be your guide. Florence County, Wisconsin. Are you looking for that perfect Northwoods destination for outdoor recreation? Florence County has over 200,000 acres of uncrowded public land with 160 plus miles of beautiful ATV UTV trails, many lakes and rivers to fish or paddle, seven wild river waterfalls to explore, horse trails with campgrounds, and friendly bars and restaurants. Go to exploreflorencecounty.com and plan your trip today. Since our inception, Huntworth has worked relentlessly to incorporate innovative technologies and forward-thinking design into affordable camouflage apparel. Our gear, designed with the disruption camo pattern, utilizes computer-generated graphics featuring a high level of random and abstract visual noise to help you remain undetected in the environment. So whether you need the latest in hunting gear technology or clothing that just simply fits your lifestyle, Huntworth Gear is what you're looking for. HuntworthGear.com. That's HuntworthGear.com. Pappas Trading Post is Southern Wisconsin's number one Matthews and Mission archery retailer. Located just west of Arena on Highway 14, they have a full-service pro shop, a 40-yard indoor range, a large selection of archery accessories, and a full assortment of Matthews apparel. Their expert staff can tune your bow for top performance. Gear up for bow season at Pappas Trading Post. Look for the two giant arrows and stop at Pappas Trading Post on Highway 14 west of Arena or visit PappasTradingPost.com. Enjoy the ultimate shooting experience at the Range of Richfield, your one-stop shop for all shooters. Just north of the Richfield Cabela's store on Helson Drive, the Range of Richfield offers 12 state-of-the-art 25-yard indoor shooting lanes for all pistol and common rifle loads. Classes in home defense, basic handgun and concealed carry, a retail shop, trophy mount display, and more in a welcoming, family-friendly setting. Open daily except Monday to the public and members. Your ultimate shooting experience, therangewi.com. For the nonprofit Ruffed Grouse Society, the well-being of the Ruffed Grouse and American Woodcock is a special priority. But the Society's conservation work benefits more than just these two game birds. The organization's programs help a long list of other young forest wildlife, including songbirds that must have thick, brushy habitat to survive. For more information about forest wildlife habitat management, contact the Ruffed Grouse Society toll-free at 888-JOIN-RUFF. 
RGS. Welcome back to your source for the latest hunting and fishing information. Outdoors Radio with Dan Small. Welcome back to Outdoors Radio. I'm Dan Small. You've probably heard of the Jordan Buck, the former world record whitetail that was killed in Burnett County back in 1914 by Jim Jordan. You've probably seen replicas of the mound at sports shows or the original on display at Bass Pro Shops, Wonders of Wildlife Museum in Springfield, Missouri. Well, if you were listening last year at about this time, you know that the Jordan Buck has come home to Danbury, Wisconsin. You may have read about it in Outdoor News and Joining us now to talk about the Jordan Buck and what's planned for Danbury coming up on September 23rd is Dick Hartman. He is the Director of Economic Development for Burnett County, and he was on the show last year at this time. Well, Dick, welcome back to Outdoors Radio, and thanks for joining us again. Well, thanks for inviting me, Dan. It's a pleasure. Well, the Jordan Buck has returned to Danbury, or actually a replica, right? It's a giant fiberglass deer, I understand. Yep, it's uh, approximately 21 feet long, 8.5 feet wide, and 12 feet high. And it's basically mounted on the ground right next to the uh, Dandy Dancer Trail, which is really close to the spot where the actual buck was shot. Aha. This is now a monument, really, to that deer and to that story, and you've got an event coming up on the 23rd of this month, and we'll talk about that in a few minutes. But for people who don't recall the story or never heard of Jim Jordan, can you kind of summarize what happened more than 100 years ago, November of 1914? Yeah, it was November 20th, 1914. I guess it had just snowed about six inches that morning, and Jim Jordan and his partner began walking down a railroad track, which is now the Gandy Dancer Trail. They were walking down the trail side through the woods. They noticed a, a large deer print. You know, they figured it was a big buck. Jim Jordan lent his knife to his partner. They split up and kind of walked on both sides. When Jim walked down the tracks, the train was coming by, and the whistle blew, and this huge buck jumped up, and he shot. He was shooting a 25-20 caliber, which is a pretty small Winchester. It was 1894 Winchester 25-20 bullets probably about half the size of a 30-30 cartridge and he only had like five shots so he shot once twice and the deer disappeared and then uh, went down shot a couple more times and with his last bullet he saw that the deer stand up again he shot and it dropped so he went over to the deer you know which was still kind of half there he didn't have any other shells to dispatch and he's looking for his knife but he'd given it to his partner so he started walking back to get the knife from his partner and when they both got back to the where he had dispatched the deer the deer was gone and they could see was snow kicked up around the you know the ground where he had shot it and it had fallen into the river huh. so they followed the river down and there the buck was tangled in some brush and that's when they they got it pulled it out and there's a whole lot more to that story Jim Jordan gave the deer to a, a local taxidermist and then kind of forgot about it, and the taxidermist went out of business, and the horns ended up getting lost for a number of years. And, and they were found in, in a shop in the other side of the rivers. Yeah, they were found in Minnesota, and he actually got his hands on them again, but I don't think it was declared a world record before he died, right? All that 
kind of happened at no, the same time? No, that all kind of happened after the fact. There's a, you know, there's a booklet that we printed that can give you the entire story from start to finish. It's pretty interesting. Yeah. In fact, it was written for the Centennial back in uh, 2014. Yeah, I read about it in Boys Life when I was eight years old, and I'm now 74, so it's been a lot of history there. Yeah, it, it had a lot of impact on a lot of hunters because, I mean, the world record to some hunters is the Holy Grail. You know, if I can shoot a buck big enough to beat the Jordan buck, it'll be a world record, and it stood for many, many years, and it's still one of the top-ranked whitetails of all time. Aside from that, why is it so important to Danbury? Well, it's a real tradition. Deer hunting is kind of like a religion up in this part of the state. It's actually considered a holiday, and people look forward to it, and it brings a lot of people and a lot of money into the state of Wisconsin. And we just felt that this was something that could be presented by Burnett County in a very positive way. It kind of shows the heritage and conservation that's been happening in the county forever, basically, you know, since hunting started here, I guess, rifle hunting, that is. Yeah, it's pretty important, and to have a deer this size, typical buck that, you know, the record stood for that period of time is pretty incredible, so kind of a claim to fame, not only to Burnett County, but also to the unincorporated village of Danbury. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you have a celebration planned for the 23rd. That's also National Hunting and Fishing Day, and there are a lot of events going around the state and the country, so what have you got planned? Well, the day starts off at 10 o'clock with opening ceremony with some dignitaries for speakers. We've got, you know, the local sheriff and Chuck Anderson, who heads up the Burnett County Tourism Coalition and also is part of the county tavern league. And then we have Don Taylor, who is the county board chair, who is an avid hunter and fisherman. He's going to say a few words. After that, there's a craft fair food vendor. There's like 40 different vendors for a variety of crafts and different food sales, W face painting and goods and more sold, you know. Then at noon there's a parade, a Jordan Buck parade. Uh, lineup starts at 11 and, and, and you know, goes until it's finished. Uh, after that, we've got uh, other events planned. You know, the Siren Rotary Club has bingo. Uh, there's horse-drawn carriages on the Gandy Dancer Trail that starts at 1 o'clock in the afternoon and retraces the steps that Jim Jordan took along with markers along the way where the deer was spotted and where it was shot at and dispatched. So it's, it's kind of interesting. And you, know, you get to see where this whole thing happened back in 1914. We also have an open house at the firehouse. We have live music starting at 1 p.m. at Wild Waters Bar and Grill. There's a pinball tournament, actually. We've got a operation in town, Bill River Pinball, and it's open to uh, people 16 years and older. We also have nonprofit raffles and silent auctions. There's something for everybody to do with this. We've got activities for the kids. Uh, we've got a deer porn treasure hunt. We've got you know, bouncy house and other types of things. And we also have a youth involved tournament. It's pretty much a day of, of celebration and fun. And last year we had about 7,000 people attend. This is the original that kind of got together pretty quickly. You know, it's a very big success, and it was actually kind of a rainy day, so things went very well. So that's why they're going to continue this in, into perpetuity, we hope. So it's the, and it's the second annual Jordan Buck Day. So. I imagine people have to pay for food, but are the other events free, or is there a charge for anything? No, the entire 
non-incorporated village of Danbury is going to have the streets lined with vendors and food vendors. You know, there'll be displays, I think, from other organizations. Um, obviously, if you're going to be playing bingo, you're going to have to pay something for sure. that. So children's activities are all free. We've got a corn pile, treasure hunt where we place small antlers. And if they pick one, they get a prize. Also, there's going to be like 50 cent pieces buried in the corn. And then there's going to be other activities for the kids. So it's a bring your family kind of event. Make a day out of it or a partial day. Okay. You're not going to have the buck rolling down the street in the parade, are you? No, no. There is a big puppet that wasn't... You know, it wasn't a parade back during the centennial. We haven't, you know, had them come yet. We'll try, try and do that in the future. But the opening ceremony will be held right by the monument where the actual fiberglass replica of the deer is. No, the parade will be different floats. I think there's a band, a local band from one of the high schools. Um, you know, there'll be uh, floats from the various organizations in town. It's a pretty fun time, you know, for a small area like ours. So It sounds like but, it. Uh, and if people don't know where Danbury is, how do we get there? It depends where you're coming from. From the Twin Cities area, basically it's about a two-hour drive up uh, Interstate 35 till you hit Wisconsin 77 and you cut across. If you're coming from Eau Claire or Madison, you'll probably take 53 to Highway 70 and then 70 to Highway 35. The actual statue is right at the intersection of the Gandy Dancer Trail on Highway 77, which is just off of Highway 35 in Burnett County. So it's kind of up in the northwest corner of the state, and we're right along the St. Croix River. So, you know, we're right on the edge of Wisconsin and Minnesota. Okay, and folks can learn more and see the details that we talked about here online at burnettcountyfun.com, right? Right. Well, Dick, it sounds like an exciting event and a great way to commemorate a magnificent deer and a great hunt and a great story, and I hope you have a great turnout again this year. Yeah, we do, too. We're looking forward to it, and we're looking forward to a good turnout. We had a good turnout last year. We'll invite anybody that wants to show up and, and have some fun and learn a little bit about the, the Jordan Buck. All right. Well, thank you so much, Dick, and we'll talk to you again next year, if not before. Great. Thanks a lot, Dan. I appreciate it. You bet. Dick Hartman is the Director of Economic Development for Burnett County. The website to learn more about Jim Jordan Buck Day coming up on September 23rd is BurnettCountyFun.com. I'm Dan Small. More Outdoors Radio right after this. Attention future hunters. Hunting season for turkey, small game, and deer is right around the corner. Don't wait to think about hunter education. The time to enroll is now. The Wisconsin DNR offers several options to choose from, making it easier than ever to enroll. Just browse for upcoming youth or adult hunter education classes at gowild.wi.gov and join the ranks of today's hunter education graduates who are ensuring the safe future of our hunting heritage. Classes fill up quickly, so don't wait. Enroll today. A message from Wisconsin DNR. Are you looking for that perfect Northwoods destination for outdoor recreation? Florence County has over 200,000 acres of unclouded public land with 160 plus miles of beautiful ATV UTV trails, many lakes and rivers to fish or paddle, seven wild river waterfalls to explore, horse trails with campgrounds, and friendly bars and restaurants. Go to exploreflorencecounty.com and plan your trip today. Castle Rock and Petenwell are two of Wisconsin's largest inland lakes. With more than 60 square miles of water, they offer four seasons of outdoor fun. 
halfway between the Twin Cities and Chicago, and just minutes from Wisconsin Rapids and the Dells, you'll enjoy family-friendly resorts and campgrounds, great fishing, bike trails, county, state, and national parks, and the Nesita National Wildlife Refuge. Learn more at castlerock-petenwell.com or on Facebook at Castle Rock Petenwell Lakes Association. Since our inception, Huntworth has worked relentlessly to incorporate innovative technologies and forward-thinking design into affordable camouflage apparel. Our gear, designed with the disruption camo pattern, utilizes computer-generated graphics featuring a high level of random and abstract visual noise to help you remain undetected in the environment. So whether you need the latest in hunting gear technology or clothing that just simply fits your lifestyle, Huntworth Gear is what you're looking for. HuntworthGear.com. That's HuntworthGear.com. Welcome back to Outdoors Radio with Dan Small. Welcome back, and thanks again for joining us on Outdoors Radio. I'm Jeff Kelm. We're brought to you by Cedar Lake Sales on Highway 33 West in West Bend on the web at cedarlakesales.com. The Crestliner model year-end rebates have been extended through the end of October. Check that out. Uh, they're also having a big sale on pontoon boats. Check the Cedar Lakes uh, website for details on that. We're also brought to you by Huntworth Gear, performance camel wear at a price you can afford, huntworthgear.com. By Ducks Unlimited, a proud sponsor of Outdoors Radio and of duck hunters everywhere. To learn more about the world's leader in wetlands conservation, visit ducks.org. And we're brought to you by Castle Rock Petenwell Lakes Association, 60 square miles of fun on the water, castlerock-petenwell.com, and by Woodside Ranch Resort and Conference Center, woodsideranch.com. And our TV show, Outdoor Wisconsin, may not be airing in your area, but you can always check it out online at milwaukeepbs.org. Last year's Deer Hunt Wisconsin show is there as well, and I know Dan is looking forward to uh, getting in the Deer Hunt Wisconsin gear and uh, and putting a great show together here for 2023. If you missed anything we talked about on the web or on the uh, on the show here today, you can go back to uh, Lake Link. Go to lake linkcom to their outdoor radio page. They've got uh, the ability to uh, uh, archive shows all the way back to about a year ago, and you can download those and take them with you. You can also find us on the Outdoor News website, outdoornews.com slash podcasts, and then find Dan Small on social media at Dan Small Outdoors and find me at Hardwater Jeff. And uh, just a couple of calendar items we want to mention next Saturday, September 23rd, Warren Nelson and friends will perform at Harborview Event Center. Um, Warren's appearances can be found at warrennelson.com. If you or someone you know will be a first-time hunter this year, there's still time to register for a hunter education course. You can visit dnr.wi.gov and uh, search the keyword hunter education. Uh, with that, we wish you the very best of luck here this weekend. Opener of bow, enjoy our time, uh, your time in the woods, and I'll get out there eventually. I'm Jeff Kelm. Dan will join us again next week. Get outside and enjoy it. And join us next week for Outdoors Radio. I'll be trolling home to you When my wrist gets a little chilly On the gunnel When my lazy Ike is just too lazy to lure When the worms go dry In the coffee can, honey 